welcome to another episode of the Hubscale podcast. This week's amazing guest is Steve Wilson, Chief Product Officer at Contrast. Today, he is, his team is responsible for engineering, products management, products marketing, and product design for all products. Steve has over 25 years experience developing and marketing products at multi-billion dollar tech companies, such as Citrix, Oracle, Sun Micro, Microsystems. He's a popular speaker of the future work and artificial intelligence topics and has recently presented at the Churchill Hill Club, Silicon Valley Leadership Group and many more. Steve, it's great to have you on today. How are you? Awesome. Thanks, Connor. Appreciate you having me on. No, it's a pleasure, like I said. So I guess for everyone who doesn't know who you are, can you give us a little bit more of an introduction on yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Um so like you said, I'm currently the chief product officer at Contrast Security. Contrast's a company in the application security space and um, venture-funded startup, about eight years old now, and I've been here for about two and a half years. Um, prior to that, I've done a combination of startups and larger tech companies. And um, you know, my, my first big real job was at Sun Microsystems. I was an early member of the Java team, um, went to Oracle. Uh, for a few years, and Citrix, where I helped them build out their cloud computing strategy. No, that is awesome. So what actually got you to come into cybersecurity? You know, when I was thinking about what I wanted to do next a few years ago, it seemed like there were two big trends that were going to be the unsolved problems of the decade. And um, and cybersecurity was clearly one of them. When you look at it, um, uh, just every day in the news, there's a new set of uh, concerns, breaches, but it you know it goes outside of just technology. I mean, the, the United States has had challenges securing its own um, elections and things like that because people are afraid to move to you know digital methods of doing this, where we're still counting paper ballots because people think that's more secure. And um, when you think about that, if we're really going to move to the next level of technology, we got to solve some of these security problems. No, I completely, completely agree with you, and hence why I'm in cybersecurity as well. Like you say, it's the ever-expanding market. There's always attackers, and they're always getting a lot more sophisticated in how they do everything. So like you say, cybersecurity should be a main focus for every country and every organization. So with your career, what actually inspired you to become a chief product officer? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I started my career, actually, the first thing I did right out of college was I I founded my own startup with a few friends. But, um, and, and I was kind of the business guy at that point. I was, I had a business degree, not a computer science degree. So I was the guy who incorporated the company who did the accounting, but, but I also wrote a lot of code. And, um, when I moved into Sun Microsystems, it was as an individual contributor engineer working on Java. I worked my way up the engineering ladder and my first engineering management job, my first director job. Um, went to a startup for a couple of years. And, you know, I'll tell you this story briefly is I, I went to this startup, um, startup been run, running for a year. They asked for help to kind of fix up the product and get it enterprise ready. And we, we got it in really good shape people still weren't buying it. And when I went out and met with a bunch of customers, I figured out why, which is we hadn't quite actually listened to the customers about what they needed. And we built something that was really cool, but didn't solve their problems. 
And I came home and I told everybody this. And for a few weeks, they were really mad at me. And then they said, Steve, why don't you run product management? And, you know, I spent the next decade plus moving back and forth between roles that were either primarily engineering or primarily product management, product marketing. And, you know, in this latest role, what I get to do as the chief product officer is combine both of those. I get to oversee the definition of the product, making sure that we understand the customer problems, but I also get to oversee the actual execution and making sure that we're building the best product as fast and as cost effectively as we can. Yeah, no, it makes total sense. Like say a business degree then somehow fell into product in, so no, makes total sense. And like you say, from your experience, yeah, you've clearly know what you're talking about. So with that being said, what are some of the main challenges you've actually faced being a CPO and how have you actually overcome them? You know, I think that um, when I think back to a lot of the challenges around uh, a CPO role where um, where you're leading both engineering and product management, and not all CPO roles do, but the one that I'm in currently does. Um, one of the first surprising things to think about is making sure that you actually get everybody on the same page. Um, if you're leading both of those functions, it means you probably have a pretty big team and product managers and engineers think differently. They think differently about problems. They can say the same words. They can look at the same uh, slides, the same uh, documents and come to very different conclusions about what we're doing and why. And so as the chief product officer, I find a lot of my challenges are really explaining the whys to people. Why are we doing this? How is this going to impact our business? Um, when people really understand the business drivers, they make better decisions by themselves. Yeah. If you have to come up and sweep up after bad decisions, that's really inefficient. You wind up with a lot of rework and slipped schedules. If you can get everybody on the same page about the why, people tend to pull in the same directions. And that means that the engineers will better understand what the product managers are saying and vice versa. And that's that's the first lesson that I really learned in this role. No, and I think that's a a quite viable lesson to have learned like say if people are on the same page lack of efficiency lack of revenue getting generated as much as it is so yeah you've got to get everyone on the same page and getting everyone on the same why it makes total sense and hence why you are successful in your role and looking through your history of your career you've worked both engineering and product management how did that happen um i think when i go back to it um you know that that very first startup i was at um, I really intended to be the, the business end of this. And, you know, when you're at a small startup, everybody does everything. And, you know, I grew up in Silicon Valley. I'm an actual Silicon Valley native. Um, and, you know, my dad brought home our first PC when I was six or seven and I learned to code. Um, I didn't really mean to do that for a living though. Um, but when you're working at a startup and you're building products, all of a sudden I'm, I'm up to my elbows in C++ code. And, um, you know, when the, when the World Wide web came around in the nineties, uh, the guys I was at the startup with, we weren't doing internet stuff. We were, we were actually doing artificial intelligence and, uh, we kind of looked around and said, well, we'd better figure out this internet thing. And we we folded up our startup that we'd been running for a few years. And we said, let's go get jobs. And I wound up at Sun Microsystems, which was a great place to learn 
the internet, right? It was the company whose slogan was the network is the computer. And so worked worked my way up through a set of roles um, where at one point I said, look, I don't want to be an individual contributor. I don't want to write code for my whole life, even though it's kind of fun. Um, and I switched to a management track. And um, like I said a bit earlier, eventually that engineering thing led to the fact that we were building products that I thought were great as an engineer that I realized weren't solving the customer problem. And once once you realize that that is the first most important thing, um, that's where the product management needs to lead. Product management team needs to be able to understand the customer problem at a very deep emotional level. What's the customer pain? And what are the things that you can do to alleviate it? And so once I really understood the the value and importance of that product management role. I've I've always had jobs that had an element of that, and um, and it's in some ways a favorite part of my job. Like say, so you didn't mean to do this from an early age, but you've kind of fallen into it, and clearly you love what you do and have a passion behind it. So no, I respect that highly. So with some of the challenges, what are some of the challenges you've actually faced when managing complex product roadmaps? I bet that's actually quite difficult. Um. Managing big, complex roadmaps is one of the biggest challenges that you will ever run into. And, you know, you're constantly balancing a set of trade-offs uh, that come down to, in some ways, three big things. Uh, one of them is, how fast can I deliver things? There's always a huge pressure for that. Um, you know, we're in high technology. Speed is king. First to market matters. Um your, your boss is keyed in on what dates you're promising to deliver things. You're making customer commitments where the customers are worried about when they're going to get things that they need. So speed is key. Um, but the other thing that you're you're under pressure for is, um, is quality. And how do you deliver something that's great? Um, when you're working on enterprise class products or or carrier grade products, um, which a lot of things in cloud computing are, they need to be, you know, five nines kind of quality. How do you how do you deliver that? Um, and then ultimately, there's how many features are you going to put in the product because that might be what helps sells it. Mm -hmm. So you're trading off uh, speed of delivery against number of features and innovation versus quality, and um, and it's kind of a, a deadly combination where you can't really, in the short term, optimize for all three. You're trying to make trade-offs where you balance these correctly on a given point, where you're constantly assessing the quality of your own product and your own code base, and is it meeting the needs? Can I lean more heavily into delivering new types of features? Um, or do I need to really lean on going fast because, um, you know, in a in a deadly competition with a competitor who's trying to get to the same point in the market and trading these all off against each other is probably the biggest challenge for a product management team, an engineering team and finding the right balance. And and honestly, doing it wrong uh, can lead to a set of disasters that um, that you don't really want to live through. Yeah, no, I completely understand. I'm trying to manage speed and efficiency, like I say, speed is king. With features and also making it quality, it must be very challenging. So, no, thank you for sharing that piece of advice. Um, so, with that being said, what are some of the process you use to monitor changes in the market to actually adjust product strategy accordingly? So, um, in my last role at 
Citrix um, right around the time I joined. So this would have been almost 10 years ago. Uh, I was really lucky at the time the company had a partnership with what's called the Stanford D School. So uh, it's part of Stanford University. And, um, you know, I think design stands, or sorry, D stands for design, but they never really say it that way. But uh, I was lucky enough to get to go through the, what's called the design thinking program. And design thinking is a methodology that I really got attached to, which is about being able to ask really hard questions to customers or potential customers and not just understand what they need or what they think they want, but understand the customer pain that they're feeling. And, you know, maybe it sounds a little funny, but it's about understanding a real emotional connection with a customer. When you're trying to get customers to part with their hard-earned dollars, even if they're corporate dollars, um, there are a million things that they could be spending on. Yeah. And the things that will be at the top of their list are the things that are actually causing them emotional distress. It's about how do you find, in a very literal sense, what the customer pain is. And when you can get underneath that and find that pain, the literal what's keeping you awake at night, then you can target that. You can say, okay, let me find solutions that should alleviate that. And you know, with this methodology, you're able to go in and actually fairly fast cycle. Hey, here's what I heard from you. Here's what I heard about your pain. Here's an idea that would make that better. And very quickly, you can get reactions of like, yes, that will help my pain, or that's really cool. And those are two very different statements. Yeah, That's really cool. Um, that doesn't actually get somebody to part with their money, very rarely, only for the very early adopters. But if you're trying to cross that chasm into a mainstream, it better be solving pain. And um, and fundamentally, when you understand that and you understand the way to get at the customer pain, it's not about following trends in the market. Um, if you're following the trends in the market, you're a follower, you're not a leader. It's about uncovering new areas of pain and finding unique, innovative ways to solve that pain better than anyone else is. No, thank you for the answer. No, like you say, there's a, there's a high difference between needs and wants, and especially in the current climate and market conditions, people will prioritize needs if there actually is a pain to it, whereas well, that's cool. Why are they going to spend the money on that? Even if it is corporate money, people do not want to give it away for free or for some of what they actually don't really yeah. need. So no, I appreciate that. And... Throughout your career, what have you actually learned from managing product releases? Because I bet this is actually quite very tricky as well. Yeah. Um, uh, I have a colleague who I've worked with for years, you know, over a decade. Um, her name is Darcy Turi, and she and I have actually been working on a book together. And, you know, we've documented a few case studies that we've worked on in the past. And, you know, there's kind of a set of catchphrases that I use with my team to remind them about things that can go wrong. And um, one of the one of them is a phrase um, uh, it comes from Star Wars. I was a big fan when I was a kid. And um, at one point, Yoda says to Luke Skywalker, there is no try. You can't just try and do something. That's deadly. And uh, that's equally true in software. And, you know, I walked into a new job at one point. Um, the team had just shipped a big new release of their software. 
And I, I literally showed up the day that it shipped and we had a big party and we took everybody out and we ate pizza and we raced go-karts. And then in the weeks that came after started to come the customer complaints when they upgraded. It wasn't working right. It wasn't performing to spec. Um, and it was pretty clear that the product wasn't ready to ship when they shipped it. And so I sat down with the head of engineering and I said, dude, what, what happened? Did, do we not have the right testing in place? Um, do we need to get more, more QA so this doesn't happen again? And, you know, he told me a story where basically, you know, a, a senior exec at the company had been feeling pressure around this product being late. Um, again, it's the quality versus schedule kind of trade-offs. Slipped a few times and the exec wrote on the board, just wrote down a date and he said, can we ship the product on this date? Can I make that commitment to the customers? And the head engineering said, I'll try. Um, what the senior exec heard was, yes, I will get it done. Um, what the head of engineering meant was, it's unlikely, but I will push everyone to do that as hard as I can. Yeah. And those mismatched expectations led to a set of um, customer pain and a very direct set of pain for the team working on the product that lasted for a year digging out from under that. So that that idea of I will try to hit a schedule, you have to be really clear with your communications around what do you what do you know you're able to do? What do you think you might be able to do? And what do you hope you can do? Um, the other one, again, just, you know, going through a list of, of things that I've seen or been involved in, you know, probably one of the most challenging releases I was ever involved in was a complex hardware, software combined product. And we were trying to break new ground. We were developing new things. We were demoing it inside the company and had a lot of excitement. And we had what I call a success disaster, which is before the product was done, a very crafty sales team sold $20 million worth of it to a customer. Wow. And, um, you know, as a, as a product leader, your challenge is then what do I do? Um, you know, I've oddly been advocating that this is great and I want people to think it's great, but it's not done. And, you know, this was much earlier in my career. And I said, go, go ahead and ship it. We'll support it. We'll make it work. And, um, and I don't think I even understand understood at the time how not done it was. And when it got out to the customer, it did not work. And there were real repercussions about that. This was a really important customer running really important things with this software. And we spent, again, months and months and months digging out from under this. And so, you know, afterwards, we basically had to do what I called an NTSB investigation, you know, National Transportation Safety Board, which in the U.S. is the agency that investigates airliner crashes. And, you know, we had a set of things inside our own team that were similar to when an airplane crashes. It's not just one thing that went wrong. It's a cascading set of failures. It's poor communication between different, um, different parts of the organization. And at the end of that, you have to own it and figure out how you're going to make it better and how are you going to build a stronger org and how are you going to take ownership of some of those decisions and make sure that that doesn't happen again the next time. Yeah, no, but that was a very challenging part of your career. Like say selling $20 million worth of products when the products weren't finished or anywhere near finished. And yeah, that is, it's, it's like, it's a success. It's that's a, like you say, that is a, yeah, 
what it like to be in your shoes and then how did you actually overcome all that to be fair I'm just curious to know um look once once you were down one of those challenges where you've you've shipped a product that doesn't work well um there's no way to get out of that but hard work and you you start to sacrifice other things right you have to go back to that magic triangle and you start taking you start taking features off the roadmap so that you can push in harder on the quality and mm -hmm. you have to get people focused on that um if you've done that where you've given a customer something that's not up to expectations um enterprise software is hard enterprise customers understand that but you have to be really attentive and really fast and get them back to a good state quickly yeah. before they lose faith in you and so that at that point you really go into customer care mode you make sure that the customer knows that you are there, that you understand any pain that they're going through related to your product, and that you're going to get them in a good state. And you really focus on that. And when you do, you'd be surprised how fast you can make progress against that and get back on your front foot and worry about delivering innovation, um, speed to market, all those things that you want to be focused on. You want quality to be the, the afterthought, the automatic piece. And Ultimately, that's what you want to focus on is building a team and an organization that delivers quality as an as an autonomic uh, nervous system piece where that drive to quality is built in. The testing is automatic. You always know what state you're in. Um, and that's completely possible to do. It's just not possible to do in the short term. You have to build that into the organization. You can't add it later. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Now, I know you are an author of multiple different books and you actually are publishing another one this year. Can you give us a little bit more of insight on this particular book, which was released this year? Yeah, so um, uh, this book is my first uh, non-technical book. You know, the first first book I wrote was a, a very geeky volume on, you know, performance tuning for Java applications. Um this one's more around leadership and the challenges that come with it. And uh, the tentative title for it is, is Ringmaster. And it's about, you know, how do you, when you find yourself in the middle of all of these complicated things that are going on, um, orchestrate what you need to have your organization move forward. And so um, uh, writing this book with my colleague, Darcy Turi, who she and I have worked together for 15 plus years at four different companies now. And, um, you know, the book goes through a set of um, different phases around, first, how do you get yourself in a position where you even have permission to become a leader in an organization? Um, you know, go, going back through, you know, your own journey, if you're in a leadership position, um, you can think back to that point where you made the jump from individual contributor to a leader of some form, whether it was a technical lead or a manager? And how did you build the confidence inside your organization that somebody was going to give you that responsibility? And, um, you know, Dar Darcy actually has a story. Um, uh, be being a woman, she comes at it from a, a different perspective than I do, which I think makes the book fun. But uh, she actually talks about carrying watermelons, which is a metaphor from the movie Dirty Dancing, which is not my favorite movie, but it's one of hers. And, um, you know, the main character winds up at the cool kid party, not because she actually got invited, but because she was willing to carry the watermelon to the party. And 
sometimes that's that's the key to building that confidence to get the permission to lead. It's it's doing the dirty work. It's doing the jobs that nobody else is willing to do. It's not getting caught up in what's cool, but what needs to get done. Um, and then from there, you know, once you're in a leadership position, how do you establish yourself? And then how do you become successful? And, you know, throughout the book, we do tell some of these stories. Um, some of those ones I covered, the the I'll try story, the, uh, you know, airliner crash story, go into a lot of details on those and and really look at, you know, from a personal perspective, where I look back on things where I wish I'd done something different. Uh, I think it's great to be able to share stories like that. Um, I know I love learning those from other people and I have mm -hmm. personal mentors in my career who shared those kind of things with me from early in their career. And, you know, then also just a lot of personal advice on, you know, what's it take to be a leader? How do you take care of yourself in that environment so that you're always can be at your best um, to be leading your team? So, um, I think it's going to turn out to be a really fun book and we're looking at getting it out later this year. Absolutely. No, I'll be definitely reading that. It'll be very insightful. Like I say, I enjoy reading myself and learning from other people's mistakes and experience. It makes your development so much faster. So no, thank you for actually releasing that and sharing some of them insights on that. So obviously throughout your career, leading teams through many different organizations, can you give me a bit of advice on how you become a strong leader and how you get the team to follow your direction and keep everyone motivated and aligned together? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think, um, you know, it's funny, people definitely fixate on, on motivation and how do you get the team motivated? Um, I tend to think that teams that are executing well are self-motivating. Mm -hmm. Right. So the first thing I'm always focused on is having the team understand the whys of what they're doing. Um, if you have to to tell them to try really hard to do something, that's that's never going to get them there. So you get them excited about a couple of different things. Um, one is really depending on what you're doing, what space your company is in, um, having a mission for what you're doing can really make a difference. And that it doesn't have to be that you're um, saving underprivileged babies as your mission, right? Um, uh, but in cybersecurity, it's really easy to get people excited about a mission that is so important that, you know, basically the entire global infrastructure is dependent on security. And then the question is, what is your angle inside cybersecurity? Why is what you're doing going to be so important? How is that going to change customers? How is that going to change people's lives? That gets people motivated. Then the question is, how do you get them aligned? Because you can have people motivated where you have 10 different people on your team doing 10 different things. You're not going to make progress. And so then it's around making the hard decisions where you have to decide, um, okay, this cycle, I'm focusing on new features or quality. Um, but beyond that, with the features that you're building, why are those the ones you chose? Because people may have 10 different reasons that they want to focus on a given feature. They may have heard 10 different pieces of feedback from a customer. So driving that alignment through the organization where you really get people to understand why you have chosen to build the product that you're building and build it the way that you're building that. Why are you ordering it in a certain ways? And taking that constantly back to the customer and making people understand what is our ideal customer? 
what does that look like? Um, it's even better if you can make them meet the customers. And, and too often you see product teams, frankly, especially over the last three years, where people are not meeting customers, certainly not face-to-face, -face, but maybe not even over Zoom. And so bringing customers into your organization, having them talk to your product teams, having the engineers and the product managers really understand what the customers are doing and understanding that customer pain, that just leads to more aligned decision-making. No, that makes perfect sense. And no, thank you for that advice. And another question on the lines of leadership, like you say, you have been in some stressful or challenging situations throughout your career and without having a strong leader behind that, the team does fall apart. So how do you actually look after yourself and keep yourself sane through them challenges to be able to help your team throughout it? Yeah, um, it's funny. One of the things I've been doing ever since I was a kid is martial arts and um, uh, got more serious about it a uh, little more than 10 years ago. Uh, got my black belt in Taekwondo and, um, you know, outside of just the, the physical aspect of training for something like that, which I think makes a huge difference to at least my mindset and my ability to deal with stress and challenges. Uh, I also really get into the philosophy of it. And um, I'm a huge Bruce Lee fan. And, you know, one of the things that he says, a, a famous set of catchphrases from him is be water. And when you are in these stressful situations, you know, in Bruce Lee's case, you know, he's, he could literally talk about, you know, being in a fight with somebody. But when you're leading a large organization, sometimes you feel like you're in a fight with the world all the time. And how do you take the stresses that are coming at you? How do you not react to them? How do you let them wash over you? Um, how do you absorb them? Um, and then how do you push back with force against those where you need to, to get done what you need to get done? So, you know, big part of that is, um, is really being present in your own mind. Uh, being committed to the mission that you're on and um, and to your team and being able to be your best and be present for your team to model that because people will follow your moods and attitudes. If you're down, um, if you're grumpy, everybody around you is going to be that way. On the other hand, if you're exhibiting grace under pressure, everybody on your team will do the same. Some great bits of advice so far, but what is the best advice you've received throughout your career and why is that, Steve? Uh, that's a great question. And, um, you know, most of the time, I think if you ask people that and they really think about that, uh, the best piece of advice you're going to get is probably something you got earlier in your career because it's going to be the most impactful. And I think back to my first management job and the guy who hired me into that. And, um, you know, I, I only worked for him directly for a year or two, but we had a great relationship. And um, when he was moving on to his next role, um, we had a great sit down and he gave me some advice. He gave me some compliments. And then, um, but he also told me, um, look, Steve, some of your your towering strengths are also your greatest weaknesses and you know sort of your your confidence and your ability to speak your mind is also going to piss people off and if you're going to move up into larger 
leadership positions in larger parts of the organization, you need to be able to figure out how to take that and channel that in a way that's going to make make friends and not make enemies. And um, and I've always taken that to heart. And so really focusing that energy on building bridges inside an organization, finding ways to work most effectively with your peers, um, people above you in the organization or people below you. That's really, really important. And it's, it's not just about being friends, but it's about um, working really effectively with people, keeping focused on task and, and going back to making sure that you and the people you're working with are all rowing in the same direction. And with that being said, Steve, where do you actually see yourself going in the next five years? What is the future hold? Oh man, it's a great question. And I would say one of the things that I've I've done throughout my career for the last 20 years is not focus too much on where I'm going to be in the next five years. Because if you asked me at any given point and I predicted five years in the future what I was going to be doing, I would be wrong 100% of the time. And so um, I live on a time frame that's a bit shorter. I'm thinking about 12, 18 months, maybe two years. And, um, you know, right now I'm enjoying roles where I'm building great products, um, getting to play with cool new technologies, solving customer problems and building great organizations. And I'd say whatever I'm doing professionally a few years from now, we'll certainly have elements of that. Um, Maybe I'll still be in pure play security. Um, there are so many cool things going out there in the industry and in adjacent spaces. Um, we'll see where things go. But uh, but the thing I do know is that I definitely will still be having fun, building great products, working with smart people. So, no, thank you. That is awesome, Steve. And that being said, one more question. If our listeners could take any piece of advice away from this podcast, what would that be and why? Uh, it's a great question. And the thing I would tell anybody working in a leadership role, again, whether you're you're an individual contributor moving up into a leadership role or moving into more senior leadership, the thing people forget to do is take care of themselves. And, um, you know, the, the bit about be water, um, stressors are going to come at you a lot. And you need to be able to react with grace to those things. Um, you need to put out confidence to the organization that you're leading, and that's going to make a huge difference. And so you taking care of yourself mentally and physically, uh, get enough sleep, get some exercise. Um, people tend to think that's not doing your job, but as you get into senior leadership, taking some time to do that may be the most important job part of your job because it's going to make you the best version of you to model for your organization. No, I think that's some fantastic advice and I completely agree with you on that point. Like say I go to the gym, I used to start off because I wanted to get a little bit of size and look a bit better, but now it is more for medicine for my brain. If I do not go to the gym, I am not working efficiently. I'm not working as high as I can be and my mood is just down on the floor. A gym session or a run does sort that out for me. So no, I completely agree from there. I didn't like say it increases your work efficiency there and you can lead by example from that. But no, thank you for that, Steve. It's been a pleasure to have you on today. Thank you very much. And I'm sure we'll speak again soon. Thanks, Connor. It was a lot of fun. I appreciate it.